Hello everyone, my name is Duncan Rayburn and this is my Unorthodoxy podcast. I want to revisit something very near to my heart. It's a subject I have shared something on before, but which I feel we all need to be reminded of from time to time, including me. The subject is the art of the question. As Martin Heidegger brilliantly puts it, questioning opens a way because questioning is the very dutifulness and piety of thought. And in a world where many people are accustomed to offering judgments without reflective awareness or understanding, we need to be able to understand precisely how this way might be opened. We need to know how to nurture this piety of thought. There's this cartoon I first saw a while back which depicts a panel of presenters at a conference as they face their audience. The chair of the conference panel cynically announces to the people in that audience that they now have a chance to participate. He says, We now would like to open the floor to shorter speeches disguised as questions. As the cartoon implies, even when questions are required, people seem to find it easier to jump in with statements and arguments of their own. It does seem that it's often easier to be a commentator than a questioner, and with this, it's difficult for many of us to genuinely let go of our own agendas and preconceptions. I don't think that this means that the situation is hopeless, however, since often even the most rigid of people will find themselves being questioned in a way that their own answers become exposed as inadequate. After all, questioning opens a way. But when we ask questions, we actively participate in opening this way. In general, children seem to be much better at asking questions than many of us supposed grown-ups are. If you have spent any time in the presence of children, you will have some experience of this. And what's so great is that behind the questions of children, you will often detect wonder There is a curiosity as well as a desire to connect not just with the facts of the things that are being asked about, but also, more importantly, with the people around them. Questioning is not just about learning information for children, but is about being with others in the midst of a world of perplexities. To be a good question asker requires a degree of vulnerability and trust, which is why the cynical and the distrustful are often the worst question askers. There is something remarkable and powerful about questions. But why? Well, I've already intimated the two core reasons, but they need some unpacking. The first is that questions are good for thinking. Thinkers, even flawed ones, although I know of no other type, thinkers have always valued questions. As Thomas Berger puts it, the art and science of asking questions is the source of all knowledge. To this I would add that questions, while being the source of knowledge, are also the source of wisdom. Now Guib Mahfuz echoes this idea when he writes, You can tell whether a man is clever by his answers. You can tell whether a man is wise by his questions. Claude Levi Strauss has a similar idea when he writes, The wise man does not give the right answers. He poses the right questions. This is certainly one thing that AI researchers will need to contend with. Consciousness is most dramatically demonstrated by question asking. And I guess this is why Picasso provocatively asserts that computers are stupid, because they can only give you answers. 
This brings us to the second thing about questions. They are good for relationships. After all, built into the question is the idea of listening. You might even say that questioning rests in a disposition of listening. And built into questioning is the idea that we are not just waiting for any answer. Rather, we are waiting for the specific answer that this person we are questioning will give. This is what makes listening active. It's about meeting people with a sense of intention and expectation. We are waiting not for any answer or for the answer. We are waiting for their answer. I think that a culture that has no room for questions is inevitably a very disconnected and lonely culture, precisely because one of our deepest needs, the need to be understood, is often unmet. We want someone to show up and ask us, so what do you think about this? In the midst of the current culture wars, the unspoken expectation is that everything we say is being tested rather than heard. And so the question is not, what do you personally think about this or that thing? But rather, how well are you operating as the mouthpiece for the inauthentic ideological status quo? The loss of genuine, honest questioning is one of the great tragedies of our time. And I would say that added to this is the tragedy that we are losing the ability to meet people where they are. Questions asked honestly and with genuine interest presume a fundamental connection that transcends all differences. Questions can build relationships with each other and with God. Although, having said that, I need to add a qualifier. Because not all questions will do this. Only good questions actually build relationships. Only good questions open a way. So, that raises a question. What is a good question? To presume there is such a thing is to also presume that there is such a thing as a bad question. And this seems to go against common sense. I've often heard people say, and I'm sure you have too, that there's no such thing as a bad question. But I think there really is. To understand what makes a question bad, it is helpful to focus on one concept the concept of opinion. As I've already noted, this is what usually happens in question time at conferences. But this is something that Plato in particular thought hugely troublesome. The hermeneutic philosopher Hans-George Gadamer has this to say on opinion in his book Truth and Method. He says, Plato shows us in an unforgettable way where the difficulty lies in knowing that one does not know, which is at the center of Socratic wisdom. It is the power of opinion against which it is so hard to obtain an admission of ignorance. It is opinion that suppresses questions. Opinion has a curious tendency to propagate itself. It would always like to be the general opinion, just as the word that the Greeks have for opinion, doxa, also means the decision made by the majority in the council assembly. Here we have the suggestion that opinion consists in three things, namely, one, a refusal to acknowledge just how much we don't know. Two, a refusal to allow for other opinions, which is what Gadamer refers to as the propagation of self. And three, a decision that conforms to a given philosophical or ideological status quo rather than to truth. We can see three main psychological incentives at work here. 
The first is the incentive to be speaking in agreement with the majority, or at least the incentive to belong. The second is the incentive to feel that one is right, since obviously this is generally more appealing than the feeling that one is ignorant. And the third incentive is the incentive to stay safe, mostly because thinking requires a great deal of effort, and not everyone is fond of the effort required. And of course, saying things out of keeping with the crowd is uh, a great way to get into trouble. And while all of these incentives are very understandable, and certainly many of us can easily empathize with those who are compelled to act in accordance with such incentives, there is a deeper spiritual sickness at the heart of the failure to ask good questions. That spiritual sickness has a name, and it is pride, which is to say, Pride goes before a fall as well as going before being a shoddy question asker. It is pride that does not want to be seen as ignorant, but which in the process sets up rigidity and dogmatism. Pride is likely, in more theological terms, to confuse epistemic certainty with faith. I have a friend, colleague, and frequent co-author, Roberto Cervent, who teaches at an American university and who I admire for many reasons. One of the things I admire most about him is his ability to ask good questions. He asks incredible questions, and they are provocative and challenging. So I messaged him at one point a while back to ask him what makes a good question, or at least what he thought makes a good question. And this is what he said. In my experience, the good question has been the question that's embarrassing to ask because it'll make me come across as someone who doesn't know anything. In other words, what is the question you really want answered? The question that you want answered so much that you don't care if it comes across as stupid. He then said, I wonder how much questioning well is virtue-centered. It's about learning to be curious and imaginative and really interested in people. And it's about being okay with looking silly. I think the worst kinds of questions are the ones that are just attempts to show off how much you know. We've all heard these at conferences, where someone will say something like, your presentation reminded me of Heidegger's concept of yada yada yada. And I really love this that Berto says, because it's true, a good question is virtue-centered. A good questioner is humble. Another way to say this is to say that a good questioner is willing to question himself before he questions others. He allows himself to question others in order to question himself. This is actually something Socrates says. He says, I know you won't believe me, but the highest form of human excellence is to question oneself and others. I know most of what I've said so far is very abstract, so I'm going to try and get a little bit more concrete. So to get more concrete, I've distilled seven qualities of good questions, and I'm going to name them, and then I'll discuss them in more detail. One, a good question is open. Two, a good question has a direction. Three, a good question is empathetic. Four, a good question is concrete. Five, a good question aims to get beneath the surface. Six, a good question gets thoughts unstuck. And seven, a good question reframes. So let's tackle each of those one at a time. First, a good question is open. 
Gautama has this to say on this idea. To ask a question means to bring into the open. The openness of what is in question consists in the fact that the answer is not yet settled. It must still be undetermined, awaiting a decisive answer. Every true question requires this openness. But this is not to say that the openness of the question is boundless. It is limited by the horizon of the question. Posing a question implies both openness and limitation. Before dealing with what Gadamer means by this need for limitation, which is actually the second point uh, of what makes a question good, I just want to point out that openness implies a risk, but also a kind of hope or faith that there is an answer, even if it's not going to be an answer that we fully understand. Openness also suggests that the answer may transcend the original parameters of the question, which is something we find especially in the biblical book of Job, where God answers Job in a way that obliterates all of Job's and his friends' questions that have been asked in the rest of the book. All of their expectations are shattered. So here's Gadamer again. He says, The art of asking questions is the art of questioning even further, i.e. the art of thinking. It is called dialectic because it is the art of conducting a dialogue. Dialectic consists not in trying to discover the weakness of what is said, but in bringing out its real strength. So, again, what is this need for limitations? Well, that brings us to the second quality of a good question. A good question has a direction. Gadamer writes, The essence of a question is to have sense, and this sense involves a direction. A question places what is questioned in a particular perspective. When a question arises, it breaks open the being of the object, as it were. I really like that idea that questionings break open the being. And of course, Gadamer is definitely hinting towards his teacher Heidegger in this idea of of things showing themselves, things kind of shining forth and, and revealing their own truth when they are being questioned. I'd say that in this tension between openness and limitation, we find what is called the paradox of questioning, which is that simple questions get detailed on-target answers and complex questions often arrive at restrained answers or single-word answers from those who don't really want to talk. As is often the case, for instance, where the question asker is trying to show off how clever he or she is, complex questions often undermine the purpose of questions, which is to find answers. Another way of putting this is to say that simple questions allow for a story or a conversation or some kind of a dialogue. However, complex questions tend towards either yes or no answers, and when there is only confirmation or negation, it is easy to overlook the personhood of the one who is being questioned. In the light of this, we can clarify the second quality of a good question by saying that a good question requires a narrative response and focuses on a single issue. In other words, a good question is about accuracy and efficiency. One of the things that hindered me in the past from asking good questions is that I used to want to know too much all at once. To fix this problem, I started to chunk things down and ask one question at a time, and this meant focusing on one element of a thing at a time. 
For this, it actually helps immensely to start with an interrogative, that is a question word, like who, what, when, where, how, and why. Other openers like do you or could you, these tend to actually only get one word answers. Beware too of of where your questions may be leading questions because that would be a sign, of course, that your own opinion is guiding the, the questioning. With this in mind, we can actually ask the question of what directions a question could point in. Helpfully, there are basically only four directions that any question can face. First is looking at the origin of the thought because all thoughts have a history. So it's a question like, where does that idea come from? Or where did you get that idea? Or who was the first person to think that thought? The second direction is looking to implications because all thoughts lead to other thoughts. So you could ask questions like, what does that imply? Or what would the consequences be if that thing were done? The third direction that a question could point is, in looking for support. All thoughts have a foundation after all, even if that foundation is a bit flimsy. So you could ask questions like, what research has been done to support that? Or what philosophers subscribe to that theory? And then the fourth direction that a question could point to is towards opposing thoughts and objections because there will always be other perspectives. So a good question there would be, Are there any criticisms of that idea or theory or theology or philosophy? This brings us to the third quality of a good question. A good question is empathetic. Good questions try to understand the perspectives of the person who is being questioned. My advice here is to strive to reach across boundaries in your question asking See the question as a bridge, or maybe try to think about what question the person you're with might want you to ask. Imagine a question that no one has asked before. If that's possible, it's quite a difficult thing to do. Still, keep in mind Richard Bach's beautiful observation. He says, the simplest questions are the most profound. Where were you born? Where is your home? Where are you going? What are you doing? Think about these once in a while and watch your answers change. You can see how those questions would bring about a story uh, rather than just a one-word answer. Empathetic questions make room for the other person to really be themselves. Bad questions will make the person being questioned feel that they're not being heard, that the questioner is not really listening, and that there's no real room for them as people. I'm sure you've experienced this terrible thing from time to time where you're there, but you feel as if you may as well not be. The fourth quality of a good question is this. A good question is concrete. This may seem like the opposite of the idea that a good question is open, but the idea that a good question is concrete simply means that it involves being sensitive to clarity, accuracy, relevance, and depth. Simply put, the focus of a good question is understanding. This is to say it deals with the specifics of the issue up for discussion. Here are some examples of questions that may help to get to the concrete. Is there something that could be clarified in what has been said? Where did you get your facts? How would what you have said be relevant in a different context? What are the implications of what you have said to X or Y or Z? 
How did the speaker reach that conclusion? What kind of reasoning is being used? What is the logic of what is being said? These questions already suggest the fifth quality of a good question, which is, a good question gets beneath the surface. I'm sure you've seen this when people debate what is said without first understanding that all thought is a response to a question. This is actually a massive problem with much of critical scholarship and especially, I think, with critical theory. And it ties in with the problem of people not being empathetic in their question. The problem is presumption, which of course ties back in with the problem of opinion. Questioning becomes just plain dishonest when the questioner presumes that the other person arrived at their own views by means of a mistake of poor reasoning. I have gotten into the habit of presuming something else, and I think it's very helpful, namely that the person I am talking with has very good reasons for adopting any particular position that they have adopted. In the end, I may disagree with them, but I may also end up changing my views. Maybe the person I'm listening to has better reasons for believing what they do than I have for believing what I do about what they believe. To be honest, though, this usually means not that I'm simply going to switch sides, but rather that I'm going to be asking a whole lot more questions. At the heart of this fifth quality of a good question is the idea that a question is not just about what is being said, but is about what is beneath what is being said. If I hear someone say something outrageous and seemingly obviously wrong, I need to find out what the deep story is. This, mind you, is what ideological opponents are unlikely to do. I do not, however, believe that the problem is in knowledge systems and ideologies alone. The problem is what good old-fashioned theologians have called sin, which is something I've spoken on this podcast about before. Something in the spirit causes us to close ourselves off to the truth that our enemy speaks. This, to be clear, is not to be thought of like halitosis as a problem that your enemy has but which you don't happen to have. In learning to ask good questions, all of the eyes of conscience should be turned inward on the self. Linked to getting beneath the surface is the importance of recognizing that you cannot fully understand a thought before you have understood the question that gives rise to that thought. Sometimes, often actually I'd say, it's pointless to debate what has been said before understanding the fundamental assumptions that guide what is being said. You might ask questions like, what is being taken for granted here? Why is that thing being assumed and not something else? How are the assumptions of the speaker challenging my own assumptions? And how can I be humble enough to suspend judgment? All of what I've said here is very tricky because all of us have thoughts that get stuck. And this is why we need the sixth quality of a good question. This is all very tricky because all of us have thoughts that get stuck. And this is why we need the sixth quality of a good question. A good question gets thoughts unstuck. Another way of saying this is to say that a good question is incisive. A good question tries to get the thinker out of a rut. The thinker in question may be you, for all I know, but sadly it's easier to diagnose problematic thinking from the outside rather than from the inside. Say you're listening to someone talk and it occurs to you that they haven't thought beyond their own obvious opinions. 
They've created a thought rut that assumes that their perspective is non-negotiable. You will need to be discerning in your response to ruttish thinking, since often engaging in this kind of thinking gets everybody involved precisely nowhere. Some people really are not to be reasoned with. In my experience, the stubborn refusal to learn may often be greater than even the most impressive question. But sometimes you may see a way to be of some help. In such cases, the question becomes, how can I ask a question that invites a broader perspective, a deeper epiphany, a questioning of the assumptions that have grounded the thinking of the person being questioned? This could be a simple question of definitions. How might we define this thing that we are discussing so that at least we're on the same page when it comes to moving through an issue? It actually helps to know, I find, that there are really three categories of types of questions. The first category is that of one-system questions, where the question has a single definitive answer, and so it only requires evidence and reasoning within a single system. The second category is that of no-system questions, which require a subjective choice or perspective or theory. These questions require stating a subjective preference or opinion and, in general, are not really worth debating about. Then lastly, the third category is that of conflicting systems questions, where questions require us to consider conflicting or competing answers. With these questions, there is not usually a clear right or wrong, although there will be better or worse answers. In theology and philosophy, this is particularly applicable. There are systems in place there, but they are open. In my experience, it is not easy to get anyone's thoughts unstuck, but it's also not impossible. It rests, of course, on whether there is a hint that your conversation partner is open to listening. And, of course, it rests on whether you are open to listening. If people are open, who's to predict what could happen? Of course, in the end, I would suggest modeling the kind of behavior you want to see in others. If you want to be surrounded by good listeners, be a good listener. And if you want to be surrounded by others open to questioning and learning, then be that person first. Which brings me to the last point. A good question reframes. Another way of saying this is that a good question can get us to look at the world differently. After all, questions provide us a context within which we can all think. I think of the first data scientist who wanted to figure out how GDP changed over time and then thought to ask the question of whether there was any correlation between GDP and night lights. Turns out there was. And that question gave rise to the answers that the data scientist was looking for. Satellite imagery became incredibly helpful. If the question gives rise to a dialogue, we're on the right track. If the question opens space for thought, it's the kind of question that should be encouraged. And if the question helps to build relationships, then ask it. So in summary... If you want to be a better question asker, be ready to listen well and ask questions that are open, that have a direction, are empathetic and concrete. Ask questions that get beneath the surface, that get thoughts unstuck and reframe things. Hopefully this is a good enough start. To conclude, I just want to read you this brief, beautiful quote from Rainer Maria Rilke's book, Letters to a Young Poet. There he writes the following, 
I beg you to have patience with everything unresolved in your heart and to try to love the questions themselves as if they were locked rooms or books written in a very foreign language. Don't search for the answers which could not be given to you now because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything, live the questions now. Perhaps then, someday in the far future, you will gradually, without even noticing it, live your way into the answer.